2: Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for tuning in. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program, 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. You can, of course, interact with us on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So the Giants, with a quick turnaround, they'll play tomorrow night in Philadelphia at Lincoln Financial Field. We'll get into that matchup, and we'll start off with some injury news. And Paul, before we get into the Giants, because they did make a transaction Yesterday, But I want to start with Philadelphia because we know the Eagles have been extremely banged up since the start of the season, but Doug Peterson, right before we went on, he had his morning press conference with the Philadelphia media, and the big question mark was Deshaun Jackson as well as Lane Johnson and Alshon Jeffrey. He seems to feel good about Deshaun Jackson returning after missing the last few games with a hamstring injury. He also feels good about Lane Johnson. their starting right tackle, being reinserted into the lineup after missing Sunday's game against the Ravens due to an ankle injury. Jeffrey, though, he's not as confident that he's going to be back on the field.
1: Well, that still means the bulk of their offensive line is full of replacements. Uh, so Lane Johnson helps. He's obviously a very good player. I don't know what percentage he's at, but clearly... You look at the division, and both coaches understand how important a victory would be tomorrow night. So if you've got a guy who can give you 80%, 85%, and he's not in significant danger of hurting himself worse, you absolutely want to put him out there, uh, understanding that the game is monumentally important, and whatever he can give you, you're going to want him to give you. So I understand that. Uh, Sean Jackson, look. If you're a Giants fan, you never you don't you never want to see this guy, period. You just assume that he doesn't play. Uh, no matter how effective he may or may not be right now, that's a guy who always will create bad memories for uh, for the Big Blue Kingdom. So I get that too. Certainly, there's no doubt that the Eagles are probably more banged up than even the 49ers were a few weeks ago. How did that work out for the Giants? Not so well. The Eagles are obviously not as good as San Francisco, but to fall into the trap that the wounded bear is not going to come out growling would be very, very foolish.
2: No, and we emphasized that earlier in the week when we were looking ahead after we were recapping the Washington game that you can't dismiss this Philadelphia team also because they have a very good track record of using guys on their depth chart, having them fill in voids. All you have to do is actually go back to the last meeting Between both of these teams, if you remember, Paul, that was the game in which the Eagles had, what, three wide receivers healthy. They were moving running backs and tight ends all around. They had injuries across the board. They came back from a double-digit deficit. They forced overtime, and then, of course, Zach Ertz caught the game-winning touchdown. Now, Ertz is sidelined with an injury. They're also going to be down Miles Sanders, but Boston Scott, who's going to likely fill in for Miles Sanders. Remember, he was the guy that did the heavy lifting in the Mm -hmm. last Giants game, and the Eagles have a number of tight ends. Now, Dallas Goddard... Is their other tight end? He's hurt too. But Richard Rodgers has been in and out of the lineup. He's been on and off the roster. So they just they find ways to promote guys from the practice squad or pull guys off the street. They coach them up and they make them into productive players. So I think that fact alone, regardless of the Niners game is more of a reason why this Eagles team is very easy to overlook. It's very easy to point to the fact that they've had turnover issues. They've had pass protection issues, but it's sort of a sleeping giant. You don't want to poke the bear and let them all of a sudden jump out of their cage because they're more than capable of doing that.
1: Well, Lance, you know, there's something about these two helmets when they get together that, I've said this for years. I usually get called by the sports radio stations in Philadelphia and even Western Pennsylvania to kind of size up the matchup, and I try to tell them all the time that even though the Eagles have dominated the rivalry, in fact, 20 out of 24 since 2008, I mean, that's just dominant with a capital D. The bottom line is these games between these two teams have been tug of wars. Your hands will bleed. There'll be blisters all over your fingers, and you will hurt for many days. That's the kind of steel cage match that the Giants and Eagles usually play. And, again, for the last decade plus, the Eagles have owned the series. In fact, the last Giants coach to win a game in Philadelphia was Tom Coughlin. Okay, the Giants are 6-12 yeah. all time at the link. Okay, this this is just literally a house of horrors for the New York football Giants. So I don't care who is dressed in that Eagles, and they love to wear black when the Giants go down there, especially in primetime games. Who's going to be wearing those black Eagles jerseys with those green helmets? It does not matter. They are going to give the Giants fits. That's just the way it is. So, you know... (laughs) I'm I'm not interested so much in the Eagles injury report because I know this is going to be a war.
2: And I'm completely with you. That's why, you know, everybody who continues to point to the walking wounded for Philadelphia, I also doesn't think has watched this Eagles team close enough also throughout the course of the season because they've had played some very close games, some highly contested games. They just are struggling similar to the Giants in terms of closing out games. And Carson Wentz, who doesn't have a great touchdown to interception ratio this season, keep in mind, just speaking of track record, Paul, that you just hit on in his last few games against the Giants, he has been spot on. He has eight touchdowns and no interceptions in the last five meetings. And don't forget his legs. Don't forget forget his legs, Lance. The ability to
1: extend plays. Yeah. You know, I mean, whether or not he's running to throw it or running for a key first down, Wentz has been an issue for this team. Now, here's the the, the giant side of the injury list that can become worrisome. Tate Crowder comes up with a phenomenal game last week. The 10 tackles, the return fumble for a touchdown that was the difference in the game. Couldn't be more excited or happy for the young man inserts himself as a very important player in that linebacking core last week. And now, because of a hamstring injury, he goes to injured reserve yesterday and is now going to miss at least three games. Well, why is that important? It is because of his athleticism. He's got the ability to cover a lot of ground, sideline to sideline. The guy is, is very, very mobile and quick. That's why they brought him here. That's why they drafted him. I know it was the seventh round and he was Mr. Irrelevant, the last guy picked. But what did we talk about, Lance, when we got a hold of his college coach and even other NCAA coaches as part of our post-draft uh, BBK shows? And when we asked about Crowder, they always said he hits hard He runs very, very well. He's very, very active. They were always impressed with this guy, saying, you know, you'll love him on specials and don't sleep on his ability to maybe do more than that. Well, he's doing more than that now. That's a big loss for the Giants right now because when you talk about an athletic quarterback who is going to use his legs, you have to be able to move with him on the defensive side of the ball. And Crowder... You might have even considered using him as a spy. But now he's not in the lineup. So what do the Giants do? It's going to be a very, very important decision for defensive coordinator Patrick Graham. Do you go with a three-safety package and decide that maybe Jabril Peppers is going to be spending a lot of time down in the box as a pseudo-linebacker because you go three safeties? Could you do that? Now, if you do... You're going to allow the Eagles to try to get a running game going. Now, we know Sanders isn't playing, but as you mentioned, Scott killed them last year. So do you take a chance, try to go with something that's going to be more athletic, and run the risk of maybe Scott getting off again like he did in 2019? This is a very interesting dilemma for Coach Graham.
2: And by the way, it's not just about worrying about slowing down Carson Wentz. It's about also the wide receivers and the running backs, the short passes, and then the yak yardage, specifically a guy like Boston Scott. Because if you go back to the game last year, the second meeting in Philadelphia that you were just talking about, Scott also did damage when they were just dumping it off to him. And then all of a sudden, he'd weave in and out of traffic. That's more of a reason why a guy that could cover sideline to sideline is important. And remember, Crowder's a former running back. That's why this shouldn't surprise anybody. I find that when players come into the NFL and they have experience playing on both sides of the ball, it gives them a different lens. It gives them a different vehicle to look at the game. And I think that's a big reason why also Crowder's athleticism is such a strong asset because he's able to think what an offensive player maybe is going through his mind when he's trying to tackle and chase down a running back, for example, because he played that position. So that's why I think he has caught on so quickly and he's been a really good fit for this scheme. I think the three-safety alignment is a practical... Way to go about the Giants' business. But I think also a lot of it depends on, Paul, how the Eagles utilize their personnel. With Deshaun Jackson returning, does that mean that they're going to show more wide receiver looks? Don't Travis know. Fulgham is another guy that's a vertical threat. He's come alive. You know, I think a lot of it depends on what does Doug Peterson do with some injuries? Does he lean on running backs? Does he lean on tight ends, wide receivers? You know, they can really take it every which way. This is going to be one heck of a chess match. I do believe
1: yeah. that coaching is going to be a significant part of this game. Now you mentioned the yak yardage and you're right. The Giants have been burned by yak yardage against this team in particular in the past, but this year Carson Wentz is 30th among NFL quarterbacks in yak yardage because he's had a lot of troubles with inaccuracies. In fact, his receivers or his not just his receivers, overall his his targets are averaging less than 4 yards in yak yardage so they're way down at the bottom this year and again Wentz has been very inconsistent and has not been nearly as sharp and as accurate as he has been before so that may or may not neutralize some of what you just talked about from what has happened in these past games but you're you're no there's no question about what you said Lance the matchup in personnel and in packages is going to be something that that we should all keep a a close eye on because uh, it's going to be a, a very heavy strategic session between these two
2: coaching staffs. Just looking at the numbers, Miles Sanders actually is the leading receiver of all the running backs, so with him out of the equation, as you just hit on, that could very well change their approach, but Boston Scott's more than the capable of catching the ball on the backfield, he just hasn't had nearly as many opportunities because Sanders has been the main guy. The other player I want to throw out there, Paul, who the volume of work is not overwhelming, but if you're the Giants, I think you need to anticipate that they could bring him in for the sake of creativity, and that's Jalen Hurts. The quarterback out of Alabama and Oklahoma, who the Eagles drafted, remember, it brought up a lot of controversy. Why are the Eagles going after a quarterback in the second round when they have Carson Wentz? And at times, they've picked their moments to bring him in, and you just wonder on a short week with some other guys banged up, is this the week that maybe they look to test the Giants' defense? That's somebody you have to account for because you can utilize him as a weapon very similar to the way the Saints utilized Taysom Hill.
1: There's no question. This guy is tailor-made for gadget plays, Lance. And we know that Doug Peterson is not afraid to get creative and do those things. I mean, already this season, you look at Hurts with seven carries as well as one pass reception. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he's also thrown an 18-yard completion. So there's nothing that they will be afraid to do with him. He's a competent athlete who can practically do anything they ask. So it would it would it would be very smart on the Giants' perspective to be on the lookout for this guy. And look, Logan Ryan talked about it yesterday. Uh, Judge also has talked about it. I think the Giants are not going to be caught sleeping by Hertz. Uh, the question is, when does Peterson decide to pull out his bag of tricks and use Hertz in that fashion? Uh, I I do think the Giants are preparing for it. Whether or not they're caught off guard on a particular play, that remains to be seen. I I think the the other item here that may be part of the variable is that Kyler Fackrell, who, again, known as a terrific athlete, 6'5", he's got a lot of length, uh, he has coverage ability. And Joe Judge was talking to us this week about how smart he is He knows everything about the defense, where everybody's supposed to be, what he's supposed to do, what the other team is trying to do. He has such great instincts and such great awareness that he uses his smarts in terms of zone coverage and taking guys out of the backfield and tight ends who are trying to run some routes. I wonder if Fackrell may also figure somehow into this coverage scheme or perhaps even a spying scheme against Wentz. I don't know. Would you Would you, Would you? you want to use him there? I'm not sure. Would you want to use him as more of a pass rusher? I don't know. You know, Judge used the word versatility. Fackle gives you a lot of different options in terms of how you would employ him, and that's just part of this jigsaw puzzle that I'm really interested in.
2: Yeah, because when you think about it, all the injuries that are piling up, no Lorenzo Carter, no O'Shane Ziminez, now no Tate Crowder. It just goes to show you, Paul, when we talk about and preview a team in the offseason, you never know how injuries are going to play out. And sometimes a position where it appears there's opportunities for various players, there's versatility, there's depth. In the blink of an eye, that depth could be taken away from you. And now we're looking at the Giants' linebacking position and we're saying, you know what? There's not nearly as many options as there were <laughs> you know, two weeks ago, right? You know, that game changes relatively quickly. So that's when you have to start to think about fackerel in coverage. And you have to think about maybe Marcus Golden snaps going back up after he had 57 two games ago. So, you know, that's the challenge that any defensive coordinator faces on a week-to-week basis. But specifically, I'd say the Giants and most coordinators that are unfortunately dealing with a great deal of injuries in the early course of this season. Speaking of the defensive side of the ball, I want to get to the Philadelphia equation because the Eagles have been very strong against the run in years past, and the statistics show that again this year. They're only giving up 88 rushing yards per game. That's number three in the NFL. And the Giants, we've seen flashes where they've been productive on the ground. We've seen other games where it's very tough sledding. They're actually coming off one of their most productive games – Part of it is because of the ability for Daniel Jones to get on and run. And, you know, he had that 49 yard run. So you wonder what Philadelphia's thinking is, are they saying to themselves, Hey, we're not going to allow Daniel Jones to have the big play against us, especially the reason I bring that up, Paul, they went up against Lamar Jackson on Sunday. And I'm not saying Daniel Jones is Lamar Jackson. Okay. So don't tweak the words and take them out of context here. But I do think if there is a game that maybe better prepares you for what Daniel Jones has been doing as of late, it would be to be going up against one of the most mobile and runner-think-first type of mentality quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson.
1: Well, Daniel Jones is the fourth leading rusher amongst quarterbacks in the NFL this year. We know about the 49-yard run the other day, which, by the way, is the second-longest quarterback run of the season behind Baltimore's Lamar Jackson, (laughs) who took 150. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, they've looked at the tape. They've seen how Jones is the Giants' leading rusher. They're aware of his willingness I think is the appropriate word his willingness to take it down and run forward for yardage I mean I'm not I'm not real thrilled with that I don't mind telling you Lance I've said it for years I don't mind a quarterback who's going to roll out I don't mind if they're going to use the moving pocket um you know occasionally if he's got to run okay but to me I'm not necessarily thrilled with the quarterback being the leading rusher on a given Sunday. I I I cringe at that. I don't I don't like to see my quarterback, you know, having f- maybe three or four designed running plays where he's specifically supposed to gain yardage by running vertically. I just think that's a really really good way to shorten that quarterback's career and to impact him. Now at the moment uh daniel jones uh, seems to be having some success doing it i'd like to be a little bit more cautious and careful but you got to show it sometimes just to make a defense respect it and to get them on their heels now the interesting number for me i've got philadelphia allowing 122 yards a game on the ground um I mean, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Lance, 125 yards a game on the ground, which is tied for 20th in terms of rushing defense in the league. You said a minute ago, 80. You're right.
2: You know what? I stand corrected. I was looking at the wrong chart. I'm now looking at the chart. I do stand corrected. Tied for 20th of Buck 26. You're yeah. Right. I so, you know, yeah.
1: well, the reason you caught me by surprise is you were saying they got a strong rushing defense. And I'm thinking to myself, no, their rushing defense has not been good this year. Well, they've got, got big guys up
2: front. From a personnel standpoint, I mean, Hargrave is a very strong run stopper who they well, brought over from Pittsburgh. Look, by Malik Jackson default, being out is a big deal. Yeah. Malik Jackson too, unfortunately, he's banged up. Right, but him those being two out is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, Those I agree. Two in particular you. have had a good track record, but statistically this season, you're right. 126 yards they've given up, tied for 20th, and they also have struggled in stopping the run in the red zone because their red zone defense is well, not yeah. good at all. They're 27th. 73% of the time, teams are punching in. However, here's where we go opposite ends of the spectrum. The Giants have not been very effective in the red zone. So does that mean that all of a sudden they break through? We talked about this every single week, and it hasn't necessarily come to fruition.
1: Well, if the Giants are going to win this game, Lance, they need to maximize the advantages that they have on paper. And when you look at this Eagles rushing defense, they're giving up over four yards a carry, and they've allowed 10 rushing touchdowns through six games. So I'd be damned when the Giants get in the red zone – they better be able to grind it out. And they better be able to get Devontae Freeman to cross the goal line because that is one of the advantages that, or should I say, one of the bruises in the Eagles' D that the Giants need to make one of their advantages. You know, that's that's the key in matchups all the time. It's not just can you maximize your advantages, but can you m- maximize the opportunity to take advantage of the other team's bruises. And in this case, boy, I mean, I I would really love to see the Giants' offensive line just get off the ball and pound it and get Freeman to wiggle his way and squirm his way in. We've seen how gritty a runner he is. And Lance, I have to say, uh, you know, I was talking to Carl Banks last night, and obviously, you know, talking to Joe Morris last week uh, at the game, They've been both very impressed at how quickly Freeman seems to have gotten his sea legs. In each of the last two games now, he's carried the ball somewhat, what, around 15 times and gained 60, 65 yards on the ground, which has been effective. Not great, but effective. He's gotten that rushing game kind of alive again. If he can really run it tomorrow to the tune of, I don't know, 18 carries for 85 yards, something like that. If he can really get it going like like he used to when he was a Pro Bowl back for the Falcons and have one of those vintage Freeman Knights, boy, I think that would go a long way into helping the Giants
2: win the game. Well, because I think it would also help slow down the pass rush. And that's exactly. where the strength for Philadelphia is. Exactly. So, yeah. If you could keep those guys on their toes and have them second guess whether or not they have the green light to get after the quarterback, that could go a long way in terms of helping Daniel Jones because the Eagles have 21 sacks. That's fourth best in the NFL. The Eagles are the best pass rushing team in the division. And we've talked a lot about Washington. We talked about the weapons Dallas has. And the Eagles make both of those teams look like they're JV teams. Just from the statistics alone. Because it's not just about, by the way, the 21 sacks. It's about the fact that from a quarterback hit perspective, they have registered 51 quarterback hits. So that's a consistent force.
1: Jackson's got 11, and that puts him in the top 10 in the NFL, not just amongst defensive tackles, but top 10 defenders, period. And he's not in the game. I I would say to you that I think Washington's front four, compared to the injured Eagles front four that the Giants will see tomorrow night, I would say the Redskins, uh, the Red Team's front four compares favorably because Jackson is that much a part of what they do.
2: I just look at it, the fact that Jackson's got just one and a half of the 21 sacks. So you yeah, still have Brandon Yeah, but 11 Brian hits DeBrand. is a big deal, Lance. No, 11 hits is a big deal, but in terms of getting home and finishing they still have those guys in terms of yeah, Josh they do. Sweat, they do. Brandon Graham, and Brandy Derek Graham's Barnett. Brandon Graham's having a really good year. Yeah. Well, so is Josh Sweat, by the way. And Sweat's not a name that a lot of people bring up when they talk about Philadelphia. We always talk about Graham. We always talk about Cox. And Barnett is the young guy that's come along. I think when you look at Philadelphia, you can argue, because remember, you take into consideration how Washington has implemented some young guys specifically Chase Young, and Montez Sweat's not an old guy. You could argue Philadelphia has more proven commodities, Paul, I would argue, in terms of guys doing it consistently season in and season out, despite the injury to Jackson. Yeah, that's So fair. I would still put Philadelphia at the top of the list. But yes, the Jackson injury certainly gives them one less guy for Jim Schwartz to rotate. And that's how he is so effective with his defensive line. He keeps guys fresh. So they have one less guy that they can work in. But I think the addition of Hargrave and free agency, who dealt with injuries in camp, Mm -hmm. Having him, I think, helps you digest the loss of Jackson a little bit better, given the fact that he's a polished veteran who's been very effective at stopping the run.
1: Well, the matchup that the Giants are going to want to at least come to a draw in is the fact that Graham is usually the left defensive end, which means he faces Cam Fleming. And all you need Fleming to do is to hold his own. He doesn't even have to win that matchup tomorrow night. He just has to fight him to a draw. As long as Graham doesn't wreck the game, I think the Giants feel as though they probably can be competitive and, and they won't necessarily be dominated or, or sunk by the Eagles front. Graham is the guy who really makes that motor run.
2: And he's been doing a lot of the heavy lifting this year, despite the fact that he's had to take on some extra snaps this year because of the injury. So it does say a lot about how even into his double-digit years of the NFL, he's still playing at an extremely high level. As this is Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTino with you here as we're setting the stage for Thursday night's game between the Eagles and the Giants as they meet for the first time. This will be the third divisional matchup for the Giants this season. Lost to the Cowboys, beat Washington. Let's open up the lines at 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You can also directly interact with us at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Dwayne is in Texas. He gets us going on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Dwayne?
0: Hey, ball. Hey, man. Hi. Hey, uh, just want to just want to say, man. Listen,
2: I will take a ugly win
0: over a pretty loss any day of the week.
3: <laughs> it,
0: <laughs> it wasn't pretty, but you know what? I was proud as a peacock, peacock walking around here in Dallas. You know, after we won. But I gotta say, you know, our, our running game is is looking really encouraging. Uh, I'm seeing the growth of these guys every week, man. It's, I mean. I think I think we can go on a run here if everybody continues to stay healthy. You know, and I wanna give a big shout out and kudos to our defense, man, because they've really been playing it excuse me, ass off. <laughs> I mean, they they've kept us in the game and, and, and given our offense a chance to win. As long as we don't turn over the ball, man, and we go out, we play inspired football like we've been playing, you know what? Sky's the limit. And I gotta say Sean Jackson is a great pain in my butt. He is a giant. <laughs> he is a giant slayer, man. I mean, we've been watching these guys for years, man, and, and I'm still haunted by that one, that one last play that they had when, when he got that run back and ran all the way back and nobody laid a glove on him. I mean, it just every time we play the Eagles, I mean, I just get a, a just sick pit in my stomach. But uh I love what the Giants are looking like now, man, and, and uh what judges and, and the guys are doing with them, man. It's just it's it's really uplifting in this, this time of a pandemic.
1: How old are you, if I may ask? <laughs> yeah. That, um, uh no, no, I do, and the well, reason I ask again because you know, there was a time many years back when Parcells was coaching, that this rivalry, you know, Buddy Ryan and Bill Parcells would go head-to-head, and Parcells usually had a team that came out on top. And even Tom Coughlin, I think, was was within a game or two of 500 against these guys. It's only the last, you know, basically dozen years that the Eagles Mm -hmm. have owned the Giants. And, again, I I, I don't know how old you are, but if you go back to some of those other days, uh, it was a much more even rivalry.
0: Yeah, that's
1: true. That's true. You're right. You know, right. so though you want to you hold on to those memories before you turn on the TV tomorrow night. All
2: right, <laughs> <laughs> Dwayne, appreciate well, thanks, the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. But remember, it's all about what have you done for me lately. And the archives don't hold much water when you get into Thursday night's game between the Giants and the Eagles. And by the way, the Eagles don't just have Deshaun Jackson. Now he's on IR right now. But Jalen Rager, who they drafted... Yeah, you know, he's another vertical threat. That when they get both of those guys on the field, and we saw yeah. glimpses of it early in the season because unfortunately Rager got hurt. But now they have really few guys that could stretch the field, which is going to be extremely dangerous, not just in the short term, but perhaps the long term, depending on what happens with Rager's career.
1: Let me give you a couple of numbers, Lance, just because you know Jackson's made big plays against the Giants, and we know about the punt return oh, yeah. for a touchdown that that won a game. But in his career, 18 matchups against Big Blue, 69 catches for 1,100 yards, 16 yards a pop, and believe it or not, only six touchdowns in terms of his receiving in those 18 games. Uh, But also, he's carried it eight times for 30 yards and a touchdown because they've used him in that wide receiver end around. And we all know about what he's done in the special teams facet, so we don't need to go over that anymore.
4: Yes, I
2: think that's been well documented. No, but as you mentioned, he's a guy that changes field position because if he He makes one big catch, all of a sudden he takes stress off of the plate of Carson Wentz and company. Now, you look at the numbers this year, once again, he's only played in three games, just over 12 yards per catch for this season on 20 targets, 10 receptions. But it's actually Travis Fulgham. That has been their deep he threat. Has. He's averaging nearly 16 yeah. yards of catch. He's come alive in the last three games. He's got 18 receptions on 26 targets for 284 yards. So here's just another example how, once again, guys you have no clue where these guys came from. Doug Peterson and that coaching staff just finds a way to fit them in, and they're all of a sudden productive. And Fulgham and Greg Ward, you look at the statistics, are the top two wide receivers statistically for the Eagles this season. Well, Greg Ward is a
1: guy who's going to be their slot receiver. And as Jabril Peppers told me, uh, in fact, my my interview with Jabril Peppers will be on the uh, Giants First and Ten show as uh, as MSG premieres it uh, at uh, 6 o'clock tonight. In case you guys want to check it out, we do the whole hour of, uh, of previewing the Eagles game. Peppers said flat out, the fact that he was a quarterback in college has made him much smarter and allows him to play the slot very effectively with Philly. And, you know, he was there at the end of last season and came out of nowhere, showed yeah. some productivity, and right now he's tied for the lead in, in the team in receptions. So, I mean, people don't know who he is, but trust me, Jabril Peppers knows who he is. He, he's, been, he's been doing tape work on this guy and is very impressed with his savvy play.
2: Let's head back to the lines. Rob is in Maplewood. Rob, welcome aboard. What do you got for us?
3: Hey guys, how are you doing? Do Good. Right. Right, sorry, sorry, I'm food shopping right now, so I got a mask on.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> Understandable. Well, kudos to you those. to balance the
1: load.
3: Buying snacks for the um,
1: game, I'm sure.
3: I know, exactly. Um, so, yeah, no, I wanted to talk about two things. First of all, Polly Dutch, you're the man. I'm happy I finally got you on the phone. Um, I
1: appreciate that. Thank you. And of course, you too, Lance.
3: Gotta give you love, too.
2: So, I appreciate anyway. that as well.
3: Um, anyway, here we go. So the first thing I want to do, and this is, I know Polly Dots is a big fan of this car. I think the biggest mistake the Giants ever made for the O-line was letting Jay Fluker go. I think he's had an excellent career even post-Giants. Previously, he did. I think he did great for us when he was with us. He was opening up lot, like holes in the line like it was nobody's business, and I just don't know why they let, they set him free. And he's he's still doing a great job over in Seattle.
1: Well, you know what, though? No, no, no. He's in in Baltimore Baltimore now. now, Hold on. Yeah, he's in Baltimore now. And here's the thing. I like Fluker a lot. He was a great teammate, a great personality, a really terrific guy, and was a really strong run blocker. But he had two issues. Number one, was some athleticism issues on pass rushers, especially quick pass rushers, and they used to give him a lot of trouble on stunts. The other issue that he had, quite honestly, and this is one of the reasons why the Giants didn't bring him back, was durability. Fluker was constantly banged up. He would play through injury. Don't get me wrong. He was not a guy who wanted to beg out of the lineup. He would give you everything he's got. But the problem was... He had to miss games. He had a, he to miss practices and then go out there and play on Sunday, which, of course, inhibited his effectiveness. And, you know, here's the problem. When you're trying to build a better offensive line, cohesiveness and durability have to be two of the key factors in every guy on that line and they couldn't trust him to stay healthy for a full 16 games. If you look at his career, since he came in with San Diego in 2013, he's only played 16 games twice.
2: Yeah, Fluker had a toe injury back in 17, and he went on IR in November of that year. He was limited to nine games, and he started six. So I think that was the biggest uh-huh. issue. He had a the shoulder? ability to just stay on the field.
1: Yeah, it was a toe, it was yeah. a shoulder, it was a knee.
2: Yeah.
1: I just remember him being a road grader, and we we had a really good really nice run team. blocker. I agree with you, really really nice run blocker, and a and I and I was a huge fan of his coming out of Alabama. Yeah, and he's a huge yeah.
2: guy. I mean, we're talking about six five, three forty two. So he's a hot man too. Uh, yeah, he's a hot I got, yeah. yeah, I got one.
1: I
3: got one more thing for you guys. Well, actually, two quick ones. Um, one. Is, is, there, is there any, like, inside information on why they decided to move on to Corey Coleman? I mean, I, especially with all the injuries to the wide receiver core, you would think that they would give him another opportunity. He was looking great, you know, in practice and all the other different things, catching the ball, and uh, I don't know. I just I feel like they kind of they kind of moved on from him prematurely.
2: What do you well, before you? we let you go, what's your other point? Oh, my you had another other, quick one.
3: Yeah, what was my other quick one? Oh, man, I just lost it. Uh, you know, basically just, I'm really happy with the, the free agent acquisitions we got for a defense, man. It's a, it's a pleasure watching this Giants defense play. I mean, I know they let, they still let some, some go and, I, you know, I'm not in love with, uh, Julian Love, uh, playing safety. I mean, he might be a better cornerback, but I definitely don't think he's suited for, uh, for safety. But, um, other than that, I'm really pleased with the direction the defense is headed. If only the, the, the offense can, uh, kind of start picking it up. That's about it. I'll take it off. See ya.
2: Hi, right, Rob. Appreciate the phone call. Remember, there's been some injuries in the secondary at Darnay Holmes go down. So as a result, that's why they had to play the game of musical chairs and move Love back into safety because you had to bring Logan Ryan down into the cornerback position. So just keep that in mind, that that wasn't necessarily what they were going in into the game with, and then they had to change as a result of injuries. As far as the point about Corey Coleman, and we've talked about this multiple times going back to when they finalized the 53-man roster, but the way that I look at it, Paul, When the last caller talked about, well, there's some injuries now. Of course, C.J. Board with the concussion that he suffered in the last game. Think about all the players they had on the practice squad. So this is now an opportunity for the Giants to actually see whether or not some of the flashes that these guys showcase during camp can actually apply to the regular season. So you saw Austin Mack got called up. And he got a catch in the game against Washington. I'd like to see more of what he can do and whether or not it actually carries over. And they've got a number of other guys still on the practice squad. So I get the Corey Coleman love affair. And I was a big fan of Corey Coleman. I thought perhaps he would be an X Factor this season. It didn't necessarily work out that way. I think the speed factor was something they were looking to upgrade, and Coleman didn't necessarily provide that. But I'm not going to dismiss the fact that there's still a lot of guys on the practice squad that I think if you're the Giants, you want to see what you have, and you want to develop these guys moving forward.
1: Well, look at it this way, Lance, and I hate to always say this, but when a guy gets cut and then doesn't have any other visits with other teams around the league over an extended period of time, you have to wonder what, what's the issue there. You know, and Corey Coleman, to my knowledge, and again, I can't say 100 percent now because, you know, not everything is made public. But these days with the Internet, I most visits are made public. I haven't seen Corey Coleman get any conversation or visits with any other teams. And based on what he did with the Giants two years ago, that would seem insane. Certainly the fact that he looked terrific during training camp this year also makes it seem insane. But as I've tried to say on many shows before, I hate to repeat this for you folks who've listened to it already, but the Giants put those electronic GPS devices on every single player at practice. All the teams do it in the league nowadays. Perhaps the GPS devices showed scientific and legitimate mathematical evidence that his athleticism, his ability to to accelerate, his ability to flat-out burn is not what it was because to the naked eye, It looked like Corey Coleman was clearly one of the best five receivers the Giants had in summer camp.
2: Yeah, and he was making plays consistently in camp, too. But he was was caught,
1: which means there's something in in the, the back folder that indicates he did not deserve to be on this team. My suspicion is, and again, it's only a suspicion, that the electronic evidence said to the Giants... He doesn't have the athleticism and the speed that he used to have. The burst must have gone away. And maybe with the naked eye we couldn't see it, but the numbers told the Giants that very fact. That's got to be the reason. I can't give you another logical explanation. And the fact that he hasn't gone anywhere else since, well, that doesn't, doesn't that kind of hint a little bit more that the Giants knew what they were doing?
2: Well, I think it certainly can lead to even more questions. That's, I think, the best way to put it, in terms of is there a health issue? Is there a setback issue? Remember, he's not that far removed from the torn ACL. Is there a question about wanting to play this season? I mean, all of those things we could bring to the forefront. I'm speculating, of course. I'm not saying that there's yeah, any behind really any of that. Yeah, but none of just, us really
4: know. But you just don't know.
2: Yeah. And by the way, you know, you took about the
1: practice squad guys You've got a, a bunch of different characteristics on the practice squad. You've got Mac, who can play all three positions. He's physical. He's tough. He's durable. He fights for balls. I love the guy. You guys know this. I've been talking about him for months. I'm a huge Austin Mack fan. You've got Benjamin Victor, who's the tall, lanky target. Okay, And then you've got the slot guys in Bachman and Dillon, who are both still on the practice squad, who offer some – um, quickness, some route running, and, you know, the Giants have guys on the shelf that they well, could turn to, yeah. like you said, if they really wanted to.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of every time, and that wasn't the first time. We've gotten a lot of calls still asking about Corey Coleman, and the bottom line is all throughout camp, And we've received tons of phone calls, people talking about, I like this wide receiver. I want to see what this guy could do. Okay, well, here it goes. Here's an opportunity for the Giants to tap into the practice squad and call these guys up, which is exactly what they did with Austin Mack. So a big part of also developing depth on a roster, okay? Let's use Philadelphia as the poster child for this. The Eagles, what do they do when they get a boatload of injuries, Paul? They turn to their practice squad, right? And they call these guys up and they fit them in. So the Giants have to also, I think, start adopting that philosophy. That's the only way that you start building up a depth chart where every single year you're not questioning, okay, who are we going to turn to to be the fifth or the sixth guy? Well, you say, hey, this guy's been our system. We like what we've seen last season. Let's move him up the ladder. That's the sign of a healthy depth chart. And you look at other teams like the Niners and all of these other squads that have consistently been able to fill in with guys due to injury, it's no coincidence. So I would say for those of you who constantly call up and ask, you know, why doesn't this guy get an opportunity? Well, here's the opportunity now for these players to step up, have their numbers called, and show the coaching staff that they're worthy of making plays in the regular season. You
1: know, the other thing you have to keep in mind, Lance, is that young players always have the ability to have an upside. You know, if you're going to bring in a retread or stick with a veteran who's out on the street, well, that guy's upside's already expired. He is what he is. But if you've got a young fella who just needs the opportunity to prove himself, well, not only do you have a potential for a large upside – you also have him at an economically friendly price, and you also have him on the younger side of his career, which means, in all likelihood, he's a lot healthier than the guy who's on the street.
2: Giants fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants-branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at investorsbank.com Giants member FDIC. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here. Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, getting you set for the Giants and Eagles Thursday night in Lincoln Financial Field. Let's head back to the lines. Reggie is in New Jersey, and he joins us. What's happening, Reggie?
5: Hey, how you, how you, gentlemen, doing? Lance, Paul, thanks, hello. Thanks for having We're me. doing
2: all right, Reggie. What's uh, on your mind?
5: All right, like I said, I'll be, I'll be quick. Two, to two, the things is, what inside information, you know, have you, gentlemen, heard about the real reason they moved on from Connolly? Pretty frustrated at that move. Considering I thought we had a little depth at that position in favor of Devontae Downs. I know they felt like he was bigger and he was showing some upside at camp, but he's been the no-show. Like I kind of figured he would be, and I know that's probably. You well, not a nice thing to say. I just thought that kind of would have been a nice piece. and Not to necessarily cry was sport milk. I remember Dion Buchanan. I know he was a better fit for the Betcher system. They brought him in, and I felt like he was, you know, being productive, and they moved on from him. And I was like, man, no, these are these were, these were playmakers. And guys, I felt like, would have fit our scheme that they could have gotten for cheap, and it just it didn't. Reggie, it didn't I'll make dumb. it quick was, for you. I'll make it
1: quick for you. I don't want to cut you off, but I'll make it really quick for you. Deion Buchanan's best days are way behind him, and he was an emergency fill-in that Betcher felt comfortable with. When Betcher was out of this equation, there was no reason for Deion Buchanan to, to be here. Uh, again, I don't know how much tread is left on his tire. I think he's had a visit or two in the last month. But he, he was strictly a system guy who Betcher really wanted to bring in when they needed someone to fill a roster spot. The new coaching staff was, in all likelihood, not going to be attached to him in any way, shape, or form. They'd much rather go with these younger linebackers they drafted because, again, they have upside So that would be number one. And they also have more speed and athleticism at this point than Buchanan has. Uh, The other thing you mentioned, Connolly, again, guy coming off a major knee injury. He had to sit out a number of practices during the uh, truncated training camp because the knee was hurting and swelling up on him. The Giants wanted to bring him back on the practice squad because the truth of the matter is, clearly, that knee was not all the way back. Durability and, and his rehab was a bit of an issue, which is why they wanted to hedge their bet by keeping him as a practice squad guy. You know, you can't, you can't give him a, a spot on the 53 if the knee really isn't where it needs to be because the Giants are, are a team that they, they know. They know that they're a developing team that needs snaps. If you're not reliable enough you know, to be available, you really can't help them right now. So they took a chance, hoping he could sneak onto the practice squad, and Minnesota scapped him up. I I really can't blame him for that move.
2: He's also a Minnesota native, so I can understand, you know, perhaps he wanted to go back home, especially if he'd been hurt. And and here's the other thing, Reggie, and this is where context matters. I get it. You're irritated. You know how many defensive snaps Ryan Connolly's played with the Vikings so far this season? He's played one Uh, defensive snap. One. That's .24%. So if indeed he's not fully healthy and the Vikings claimed him, you know, Minnesota could be thinking long-term as opposed to somebody that was coming in and directly impact. And if you only get one defensive snap, and the Vikings have been hurting on the defensive side of the ball statistically and in reality land, and the fact that they've only found an opportunity for him to play one defensive snap says to me that he's probably not nearly back to 100%.
1: You know, if you want to kind of compare this to something in history, do you remember... um uh when the giants had um oh who was the tight end I'm forgetting now Lance they had the tight end coming off of a knee injury and the patriots claimed him off waivers as the giants were trying to sneak him through
5: that was um that was Jake Ballard yeah
1: Jake, Jake Ballard that's right Jake Ballard that's right Jake Ballard and and the patriots were looking at him as a gamble thinking that you know all right we'll take a chance we can afford to stash him and, and allow him to get healthy. We don't need production out of him right away. Jake Ballard, exactly. Yeah, that and was 2012. The, so the Giant, yep. And the Giants wound up uh, losing him. You know? Yeah. It, 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 same thing happened with Connolly. Yeah. And Ballard, so by the way, them. Ballard never you really got it, rebounded. Reggie.
2: Appreciate the phone call.
1: Thank you. Yeah, Ballard never really rebounded. You know? Yeah, his, and it, same thing. It, it never issues. really worked. Yeah.
2: And sometimes, you know, teams have the leeway and the luxury of stashing guys, to your point. Other teams don't necessarily have that luxury, especially a team like the Giants, who, you know, wanted somebody impactful at the linebacker position because they're changing schemes. And, you know, that has been a position where they have been lacking not just star power, but just productivity. Whereas the Vikings, even though I would argue, like I said, I think they could use it a lot utilize a guy like Ryan Connolly, you know, you are talking about a team that has Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks. So, you know, it's not <laughs> as if they don't have some playmakers at that yeah. position. And, you know, those two guys, bar not necessarily because of injury, but Kendrick's played 100% of the defensive snaps. But uh, bringing up the numbers, Connolly has played one defensive snap this season. He's mainly go. been a special teams guy. He's played 67 snaps on special teams and 1% of the snaps on defense. So, you know, once again, I still think he's trying to get his legs back underneath him. Let's uh, head back to the phone lines. Big Ed is in Maryland. What's happening, Big Ed? Big Ed, are you there? There Almost. we go. Ah. There we you. go. What's up, What's guys? Happening? How you doing? We're Hi. Doing all right. Hi. So what do you have for us?
5: Oh, my gosh. What do I have for you? Here's what I have for you. It's called attitude. And here's what you're going with saying something about something, Pauly D. You, let them go. You, you follow the coach, our coach. Our coach is pumped up as he should be. Tell everybody, look, you better get ready because we get ready to change the tide of it all. They have no idea. This is almost like a Joe Gibbs repeat. Here this guy was, nobody really knew about him. Who in the world was Joe Judge, and where in the world did he come from? A lot like Joe Gibbs. Didn't know much about him. Who was he? Where did he come from? How did he get here? The next thing you know, he's here. Next thing you know, he has preparation, and that's the key to the victory. Victory loves preparation. Preparation. So the better you're prepared, the better you win. I don't care about Deshaun Jackson. So what? He ain't go against this kind of coach. This guy knows his special teams. So he is going and prepared. That is the most biggest important thing about Thursday. So it's like the reason why I say the prepared part, particularly because you guys have been talking about injuries and players getting hurt and things like that, because if you're prepared, it almost doesn't matter who gets injured. It matters what the next person does once they get out there. And that's one part of it. So the other part is, I'd say do what Lamar Jackson is. He is like Lamar Jackson. Daniel Jones need to run like Lamar Jackson and expose them. Attack these guys. That's how they've been beaten. Just like Dallas got whipped. I mean, I'm so excited. I mean, I'm I'm just overly excited about all of this, guys. This is so amazing. We are getting ready to be on the verge of something they have never thought was coming. They're going to see us coming, and they won't be able to stop us. Because it was like, if you look at the stats, okay, the first five games, right, everybody was like, okay, you know, mistakes was made, things like this. And I look at it like, I, I, it had to hit me, Paulie. It was like, guess what? Nobody played no preseason. So it was still preparation happening, but – because we didn't play any preseason, you didn't know. So everything was basically exposed. But now, now you know what you got. And you know what I'm telling you what you guys, what we got? We got ourselves a solid football team. And I don't know why I didn't pick up on it from before. It's, it's being a team. And if you're going to prepare right, you're going to win right. And that's what it's going to be. Not, I don't want nobody patting themselves on the head too good. For beating the Redskins. We've won against the Redskins. We should have dominated. This Eagles game, we've got to dominate and dominate by running. And here's another nugget, Paul. Are you ready? Go. Okay, this other nugget is Devontae Freeman has got to get Marcus Allen, Marcus Allen's eyes. If you remember a game, right, way back, the Raiders played the Dolphins. I think it was either on a Sunday night or Monday night game. So everything about the defense has shifted to the left but Marcus saw a whole other avenue to the right, and I've been seeing quite a bit of that. Big so Ed, Marcus <laughs> Allen's a Hall of Famer now. Come on. Devontae <laughs> right, Freeman's a right. good back, but he's not going to Canada. Right. right, right. No, what I'm sharing with you about it is it's the vision. The key part is for Devontae is the vision. See, he's a small back. He's a smaller back that can get between tackles and not be seen, and he can get to that third or fourth level. I'm telling you. You know what I like, like about that, Freeman that even better. Begin well. Yeah, here's what
1: I like about Freeman even better though than that. And big I'm not denying he's got vision. The thing about the thing about Freeman, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, Lance, he doesn't go down with the first hit. This is a guy who's always going forward. Rarely is he going to get trapped behind the line of scrimmage. He makes defenders know there's been contact. He is a gritty runner.
2: Yeah, I don't really question his vision too much. I think if there's anything with Devontae Freeman, maybe you could argue sometimes he gets the happy feet you know, a little bit of dancing in the backfield before he, you know, ultimately picks his lane. But I thought there was a play that he made against Washington where Matt Paird, by the way, did a really good job sealing off the left side. And then I think it was Jimmy Moreland that came after Freeman. He made Moreland miss with a hesitation move. And then he got to the second layer of the defense. He forced another guy to miss. And then all of a sudden, he's getting to the third layer. So, you know, we've seen those flashes out of Freeman. He's more than capable. And he's been in the league long enough and remember, he played in Atlanta, by the way, where the Falcons had some major injuries on their offensive line and major issues in protecting Matt Ryan. And despite that, you know, still found ways to get 1,000 yards. So, you know, this is not the first rodeo for Devontae Freeman. No. It's just a matter of consistency. As I said earlier
1: in the show, I think he is a very important key for the Giants to win this game. I, I would be very surprised if he has a big game and the Giants don't win. I really believe that that he could be very much attached to a victory. And by the way, one other comment, Lance. If we could just slap some shoulder pads on Big Ed, give him a
2: helmet, it sounds like he wants to play tomorrow night. Well, it sounds like he always wants to play tomorrow night. I don't think there's anything ever lacking confidence when it comes to Big Ed. I will tell you that. I think the message has been fairly consistent all these years. Let's head back to the lines. Hugo is in New Jersey. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Hugo?
4: Hey, guys. Um, this is not really a topic uh, I called about, but, um, and Paul, you watch a lot of film and maybe you can opine. It seems to me that BJ Hill is quietly having good season, you know, on the TV copy, the couple times I have focused on that guy gets, I mean, that guy gets held a lot. So he does. Uh, in the, in the past rush, he seems to be collapsing the pocket and, and making a lot of penetration. And the, and the reason I highlight that is because obviously we're, You know, we're pretty thin on edge rushers. So uh, I think last week we deployed a scheme where um, Leonard Williams was a stand-up guy, almost like an edge rusher guy, and Mm -hmm. B.J. Hill was in the game. So that may be something we see over and over again, and part of it might be just because I think B.J. Hill's actually quietly improved. So there's a third-round pick who's making contributions.
1: Yeah, I think for the amount of snaps that he's playing, and, and it's been fairly consistent throughout his career. He's been somewhere in the vicinity of about a third of the playing reps Uh, There's no doubt, okay, to be honest with you, there's no doubt in my mind that the Giants are better off with Leonard Williams in there than B.J. Hill. Uh, In fact, uh, let me me take this back. He was obviously getting more reps before Leonard Williams came in, but since Williams has been here, he's been getting about a third of the reps. I think Leonard Williams, by the way, is having very quietly a very solid season, as I expected that he would. But I do think you're right. I think that B.J. Hill in his small amount of, uh, of snaps is effective. Uh, I'd like to see his, quote, production numbers rise. But uh-huh. you, you do see him on the field giving guys some fits. I, I would agree oh, with sure. that. Uh, I, I But, I again, I don't see him as a starter. I don't think I'd want him to play more. I think he's in the right role right now with this team as somebody who can occasionally give a spell to somebody like Leonard. Yeah, he's got
2: 32% of the defensive snaps right now. Dalvin Tomlinson, by the way, is at 66%. Austin Johnson's at 21%. And Leonard Williams is at 72%. And I think that mathematics right now is very favorable for the Giants because we've seen Austin Johnson make some plays. We know what Leonard Williams has done in the early stages of the season. And, you know, they're keeping guys fresh too by at least mixing in the likes of B.J. Hill here or there, which is the exact way that Philadelphia goes about its business, by the way.
1: Yeah, and nobody's complaining about the Giants defensive line. They've been sound against well, the run and yeah. the pass rush. They were in the middle of the uh, of the pack this year in
4: the NFL. It's greatly yeah. improved. Yeah. Look, it, it speaks to the personnel deployment by this coaching staff, which uh, as we've spoken speaks about. Speaks to past, the coaching staff too.
1: Not just yeah, deployment, exactly. it speaks to those guys.
4: Yeah, and coaching up players. But the the reason I call it, you know, we we're we're uh, injured at the receiver slot going into this game against Philly. I know that in the past, Philly's deployed a defensive scheme where they pressured our receivers, pressed them, and then counted on their defensive line and beat up uh, our offensive line. Um, You know, Philly has injuries, but uh, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Malik Jackson, Barnett, those guys, I think they're all all playing uh, on Thursday night, so... I guess my question to you guys is if they deploy that scheme, which in my mind would seem to be a successful way to defend the Giants, uh, how do you counter that?
2: Well, you have to be physical in the trenches when you play Philadelphia. I mean, I think that's number one because it's not just the Giants. They've been beating up everybody with that type of a style of play because, once again, as I mentioned he doesn't, Jim Schwartz, their defensive coordinator, feel as if he has to play all those guys 100% to the snap. So when you get to the third and the fourth, co- fourth quarters, those guys are relatively fresh. So, you know, you have to give Daniel Jones time to survey the field, and I think you have to stick to the run against Philadelphia. Now, they have struggled statistically in stopping the run, but I think that the Giants should duplicate what they did against Washington. And if you go back to the Washington game, there were some runs that just weren't productive, but they stuck with it. You know, Daniel Jones threw the ball 19 times. I don't think you want to go into Philadelphia throwing the ball 30-some-odd times. I think that plays right into the hands of the Philadelphia Eagles and increases the likelihood of turnovers, which you certainly don't want to gift-wrap opportunities to Philadelphia with them hurting on offense.
1: Look, we know that they've got a formidable front four and a very strong pass rush, and we know that they're much weaker against the run. So why would you not want... Devontae Freeman to have a good game and have Daniel Jones only throw the ball maybe 26 times. I mean, come on. It's pretty
4: obvious. You know, uh, maybe I have too many nightmares of these Philadelphia games, but I think in the past we've (laughs) tried. That strategy going into the game and all of a sudden, Fletcher Cox is in the backfield. Yeah, game. I know. And we, well, have to I know. Abandon, <laughs> and we have to abandon the running game. So I am just I just don't want to see history repeat itself. And I think there I is know. a bit of a from here. Well, but Hugo,
2: they've also been plagued by turnovers when they've played the Eagles. And that's another reason why they've had to abandon the run. They've had to play catch-up. And I'm not talking about, you know, if you lose a yard or two on a run... You know, and you could still stick to the run and get a manageable third down. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, nobody's saying that they got to pick up five yards a carry. If you get one or two yards on the early downs, even if Philadelphia is effective, at least it puts Daniel Jones in a position, much like Washington, where he's not facing third and nine, third and ten, and third and eleven. Because that's been the Achilles heel of this team in the early goings.
4: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be uh, to maybe quote Joe Judge, a grimy game. Let's just call it that. I think it's going to be a low-scoring kind of slugfest in the trenches. They're beat up on the offensive line, and we're strong on the defensive line. And you know, our, our offensive line is still a work in progress, and they're, they're phenomenal up front, as as you guys noted. So that's, yeah, I mean, it's a battle <laughs> it's in the trenches. Game, Hugo. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Okay, and appreciate the phone call. Yep, thanks so much for weighing in. Lance, it's very do you similar.
1: Go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: Go ahead. No, what were we going to say, Paul? Well, do you remember
1: last week um, Phil Sims said the team that gets to 20 in the Giants-Washington game is going to win? It turned out to be exactly right on the money. It wouldn't shock me in this game the team that gets to
2: 23 maybe is going to
1: win the game. I, I don't think either team is going to score more than that.
2: Well, I think Philadelphia has a better offense despite their injuries and is more capable of putting the ball in the end zone compared to Washington. So that's why I do think you need to increase the total from 20. I don't think 23 is crazy. I maybe would lean more towards 25 in that ballpark. Uh, A lot depends on, of course, what the Giants offense is capable of doing. But, you know, I'm looking at the Philadelphia offense, which was banged up. They've gone up against two really good defenses each of the last two weeks, okay? They went up against the Steelers in Pittsburgh, and then they played the Ravens. And you can tell me all you want about they scored late against Baltimore. Listen, you have X amount of time on the clock, and that's your allotted time. Whatever you do within that time counts. They scored 29 against the Steelers. They scored 28 against the Ravens. So, I mean, that's impressive considering how banged up they are and how good both of those defenses are. That's why I'm saying, you know, Philadelphia could put 25 up on you no matter how well and effective you're playing. So you know, you're going to have to put up more than 20 points to me in this game, I think, to win unless the Eagles have one of those crazy turnover games and you score another defensive touchdown. Now, is that possible for the Giants? Absolutely. But if you're banking on Paul having three straight games with a defensive touchdown— then you might as well run to the casino and do something because you know something that I don't know about, okay?
1: Atlantic City's not that far away from Philadelphia. Exactly. Well, that's more of a reason why it's convenient.
2: How about that, okay?
1: You know what, though, Lance? I will tell you this. The Eagles had two touchdown drives in the final seven minutes of a blowout against Baltimore to suddenly make that game a nail-biter. So there is that factor again, much like the Cowboys have been playing it all year, of digging themselves a hole and then suddenly, with a whirlwind, putting points on the board when the game is kind of out of hand.
2: Well, and that's why I mentioned that it came late. But here's the other thing, Paul. What has been sort of a Giants' weakness? The late drives in the first half and then also at the end of games. So you could argue, yes, those teams have dug themselves in holes, but you know what? The Giants have struggled in terms of closing up shop. So how about the Giants are up by
1: more than eight points in the final two minutes of the game? You think the game will be safe, man? I
2: think that that at least would be more of a comfortable situation. I'll give you that under those circumstances. There's no doubt about it. With that being said, that is going to wrap things up for us here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network, brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. We'll be back up and running again noon Eastern on Thursday, setting the stage more for the Giants and the Eagles. For Paul DeTino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Stay locked to Giants.com. We'll speak to you on Thursday. Have a good one.